This is Rabbi Sharon Brous, Rabbi Adi Kar, where we're dedicated to reinvigorating Jewish community, ritual, and learning, all while laying the foundation for a just and loving society. You're listening to Ikar's podcast, where you can hear our sermons from Shabbat and holidays, our teachings, our guest speakers, basically anything we think worth hearing that we can capture and stream, you can listen to right here. The whole Megillah. I mean, literally the whole Megillah. So thank you so much for being with us. So, of course, it is such a joy to be at Ikar, the gorgeous tefillah, the spirit and the tachlis of chesed and tzedek that just fills and inspires me when I'm with you all. Thank you so much for inviting me to be with you. And it's appropriate that it is Parshat Sav because you have built such a holy tabernacle here in this community. So this is a season of holidays. Purim, Passover, Shavuot, uh, in rabbinical school we used to say the three P's, Purim, Pesach, and packing. Um, but uh, Purim, Passover, and Shavuot tells the stories of unlikely heroes, right? Esther, Moses, and Ruth. They transformed the realities that around them that seemed pretty impossible to overcome. Impressive, but we got to kind of admit that at least in the cases of Esther and Moses, they didn't exactly jump into action. Esther become queen of Persia, very much not a lateral move. It surprised everyone, probably especially her. And once a queen, she was faced with a Russian invasion of Ukraine. Oh, wait. Oh, sorry. Um, She's faced with a vicious edict to destroy a whole population, the Jews, by her husband, King Ahasuerosh. Mordechai beseeched Esther to approach the king to do something. And Esther, a teenager, responded, Ma, tadafuk? <laughs> that was the little, like, Israel uh, test there. Um, what are you, an idiot? Which is not exact biblical quote, but it's the general idea. I can't approach, approach the king unbidden. He'll have my head. And Moses... One day Moses is shepherding the flock on a typical Midianite day, and he sees a bush of flame, but not consumed by the fire. And God speaks from the flames. I am the God of your ancestors. I have seen the plight of my people. I shall send you to Pharaoh to free them. To which Moses responds, what? No. I will be with you, God says. Who are you anyway? Moses asks. Ehyeh asher ehyeh. God practically sings. Moses stares at the flames. I can't even pronounce that. (laughs) Being called to a staggering undertaking is not only a biblical experience. We live in a world of problems that are just too big. We feel like the spies who scouted the land of Israel to check out if we could possibly enter it safely. And they came back to the people early in their post-slavery desert wanderings and said, we saw Nephilim, Anakites of the Nephilim. We saw threatening giants. And we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we were like grasshoppers in their eyes as well. A challenge the size of Nephilim, of Anakites, of threatening giants, looms in our own backyard in L.A. County, the foster system here. And looking up at that monstrosity, 
We're like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And the kids in foster care, they too are belittled by that system. They too are like grasshoppers in their own eyes. The task is just too big. This world, like those of Esther and Moses, is so much bigger than the kids. It's so much bigger than us. And it crushes spirits and imaginations and even the very idea of change. Taking on this system, raising one child from that system, or growing up in that system to exit the Pardes hole is seemingly unattainable. So what happened that enabled Moses and Esther to face their task? Well, we see that when Moses asked God's name, Moses referred to the Israelites as them. Vayomer Moshe ele Elohim Moses said to God, when I come to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your ancestors has sent me to you. Not his people, not his God, even after God explicitly said that I will be with you. Then God told Moses that his brother, Aaron, would be by his side. And knowing that Aaron would be by his side, Moses went back to his father-in-law, Yitro, and said, let me go back to my kinsfolk in Egypt and see how they are faring. His brother by his side gave Moses, to borrow a phrase from Aviva Zornberg, a place to stand. And with the place to stand, he had agency. In God's image, Moses would be what he would be, and bring that transformative power to us all. So too did Esther need a place to stand, to do what was needed. Mordechai beseeched her to approach the king and persuade him to avert the decree against the Jews, and said that her fate is tied to that of her people. Then he adds, Who knows? Perhaps it is for this reason that you have attained malchut. On the surface, we read malchut as human royalty. But perhaps this is malchut dikdusha, a realm of holiness. Perhaps it's not a place in the palace, but a place in the world. Mordechai could be speaking to us all to claim our place in holy community and be brave. Esther commanded the Jews to fast for three days on her behalf. And then she dressed herself in malchut, which again on the surface could just mean royal clothing. But this is also read rabbinically as clothing herself in shekhinah, layers of God's presence. She was wrapped in family, community, and God. And that, that made all the difference. Dressed in malchut, Esther stood on behalf of her people, b'chatzer beit hamelech hapnimit, in the king's, perhaps God's, inner court. Esther and Moses are like the adults looking at the foster system from the outside and are also like the kids trapped in it. They're all of us. Ruth also, she's like all of us, those with personal agency as well as kids confined by a system. But Ruth was different from Esther and Moses. Even from her contained life in Moab, she envisioned her place in the unfolding of a faraway nation and in relationship with an infinite, invisible God. 
She clung to Nomi as Nomi left to return to Beit Lechem, insisting, where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. She could see it. She would get there and bring forth a messianic future at one with God. All of us here and kids who find themselves in the moab of a foster care system, we too have the capacity to see beyond the circumstances of our lives and of the world around us. We can imagine ourselves in a world where we belong, where we each have a place to stand, become our highest selves, bring redemption closer. We hold within us the fear and resistance of Esther and Moses, their capacity to overcome, and the prophetic vision and determination of Ruth. And like them all, Esther, Moses, and Ruth, who themselves were all fostered or adopted, we are called to imagine ourselves in a world of possibility, no matter where we currently find ourselves. Kids in the LA County foster system are resistant and afraid, and they imagine themselves in a world in which they find their place to stand, to become, to become their highest selves and make their own impact on a big world. And that means a place to belong, held by a loving family that is, in turn, held by a loving community in relationship with God. All of us in this holy Ikar community have a place to stand. And we can imagine a world where we are those loving families. We are not too small. In a Midrash, when the spies of the desert generation reported that they saw themselves as grasshoppers in the presence of the land's threatening giants, uh, and they also looked like grasshoppers, I'm oh, sorry, they saw themselves as grasshoppers in the, in the eyes of these threatening giants, and they also looked like grasshoppers to them, to the giants, God scolded them. God said, okay, so you felt like grasshoppers. That's your experience. You're right to do so if you choose. It's subjective. But I will not permit you to claim that to them you looked like grasshoppers. Perhaps you looked like angels in their eyes. Let's see ourselves and every child under the auspices of LA County as angels messengers of a better world. Through the Second Nurture Partnership with ICAR, there is a cohort of ICARites who have faced this systemic anak with a vision for the future and are fostering, have fostered, will foster again, might foster, uh, or lovingly supported these foster families. And I wonder if there are any cohort members here today. Come find me afterwards. Uh, yeah? Hey. Uh, this cohort meets monthly as a group with Jessica Cowley. Uh, she's our second nurture, uh, amazing family support specialist. And the cohort families help each other. Jessica seeks out external resources that may be needed, and the wider ICAR uh, community steps up also to provide support. And you may have seen the Jewish materials that reflect fostering and adoption, and we have some samples to uh, show you here at Kiddush. And, you might know Andrea King, who is our, a member here at ICAR and is our uh, program director, so you'll be seeing lots of her. Uh, and your clergy, as you know, engages this community with such immense wisdom and love. 
And one of the most beautiful Jewish resources that we have was created by Rabbi Kayla Lebeau for an Ikar family. It was based on Havdalah, and I really encourage you to take a look at it. So who better than this community grounded in chesed to foster children and nurture their foster families? Who better than this Jewish community grounded in tzedek to divert children from the paths of social injustice that await those who age out of the system? Because those who age out of the system are the number one feeder into homelessness and incarceration and poverty and trafficking. Just as kids are held and reflected in our families, our families are held and reflected by their second nurture cohort. And in turn, the cohort is held and reflected by this amazing Ikar Kihila. We hope that you can imagine yourself as a foster parent or will step forward to support uh, Ikarites who are fostering. Because imagining ourselves holding a foster child or foster teen means that we have to be able to imagine ourselves being held. There's another adopted figure in the Passover story, Sarah. Sarah was adopted as a child by Joseph's brother, Asher. She was an Elijah-like figure whose life spanned generations and is recorded in the Torah as going down to Egypt with Jacob, her grandfather, and as leaving Egypt in the Exodus. So when the people, as Moses predicted, doubted that Moses was sent by God, Sarah was able to confirm his authenticity because she knew the secret code spoken by Moses. It had been transmitted from Jacob to Joseph and Joseph to his brother Asher, and Asher entrusted it to his daughter, Sarah. Moses, adopted by Pharaoh's daughter, was the messenger of divine revelation. Sarah, adopted by Asher, was the bearer of oral tradition, and we needed both of them for redemption. Hundreds of years after the exodus from Egypt, Sarah, still living, recounted the miracle at Yam Suf, the Sea of Reeds, known as the Red Sea. She said that the giant, the Anak, immense walls of the parted sea resembled shining mirrors in which every person was reflected so that it seemed like an even greater multitude crossed there. And not only those of the present, but also those of the past and the future as well. The redemptive potential of this community is as great as the parted sea. Because God endlessly reflects our love for each other to the left and to the right as we move with faith toward the ultimate belonging, a yet unknown Sinai. Shabbat Shalom. Hi, it's Rabbi Brass again. Thank you so much for listening. Want more content like this? I hope you'll subscribe and please consider making a contribution to Ikar so we can continue to work toward the fulfillment of our mission to reanimate Jewish life, to embody moral courage, to nurture the spirit and to work to decipher what it means to be a human being in the world today. Visit our website at ikar.org. That's I-K-A-R.org. And I hope to see you maybe even in person sometime soon.